Hello and welcome to Cartel Aristocrats Finance Cast number 60. As always, we'd like to thank our sponsors Gathering Magic and CoolStuffInc.com who have provided us with gift certificates to give away with free shipping on orders of $100 or more, a 25% buy list bonus, and their ever-popular customer rewards program, Cool Stuff Inc. is a store for all of your Magic the Gathering needs. I'm joined this week by Ed Wynn of Kerwin's Gaming, Jim Casali of Modern Nexus, and Travis Allen of MTG Fast Finance and MTGPrice.com. Um, so, of course, we've been, we all went to GP Vegas. Uh, we all had a good time. Most of the events were a ton of fun. Uh, Channel Fireball did a great job of organizing the main hall. But uh, for those of you who were there on Wednesday, there were a couple problems that we wanted to address and our feedback, essentially. Uh, so we're going to just sort of stick to the facts, talk about the facts of some of the documents we have, and we will read Channel Fireball's statement at the end of this to sum up what they feel after I reached out for a comment about them. Um, so, on the Monday before the Grand Prix, uh, Channel Fireball had sent a uh, email, and actually the first one that we saw was dated on Friday, June 9th, in uh, which they wrote, um, Hello, we received several questions about the Grand Prix Las Vegas vendor email that was sent out yesterday, so I wanted to send a follow-up to clarify. The main Grand Prix Las Vegas Hall is open Thursday to Sunday on Wednesday and from 7 p.m. to 3 a.m. on Thursday to Sunday, and we have a separate ballroom down the hall with 900 to 1,000 chairs. We'll be running a bunch of events in this room and for the rest of the weekend. Uh, Channel Fireball is planning on setting up a small booth on this ballroom, in quotations, on Wednesday only, in order to service the players' needs. I spoke with our event manager, and he said that we could cut some of our players' tables and fit 68 additional mini vendor booths if other vendors are interested in vending in this room. In calculating the value of the chairs we would be cutting from this room, each vendor booth would be eliminating roughly 24 chairs, which would generate between $2,000 and $4,000 from events. Given this, we're happy to offer the following if anyone is interested. Uh, then they list that they have eight Grand Prix Las Vegas mini booths available for $2,000 a day. The booths will have 11-foot frontage, and that will include two 8-foot tables. Um, the important part is that they mentioned if we have uh, more than eight vendors interested in these booths, the priority will be determined by the booth size you purchased for Grand Prix Las Vegas. And then when we received your balance payment for the event, they're offering this out of transparency and fairness. They say that they don't expect a ton of players or business on Wednesday, and they debated setting up a booth in the ballroom at all. Um, they, they were very careful to be clear in their vendor solicitations and communication that Vegas would be a four-day show and that they would have preferred the main hall to start on Wednesday, but that it just simply wasn't an option this year. Um, some of the interesting things about this are that uh, Channel Fireball says that they are cutting chairs away, whereas if you had been on site on Wednesday, some of these vendors were literally shoved into what appeared to be like little storage closet areas, like just sort of in the middle of a wall. Um, and the fact that there were only eight vendors um, allowed in this room out of the 30 plus vendors that were there uh, created an unfair system for vendors who either had paid ahead of time or had reserved the biggest booths. Um, whereas at a normal Grand Prix, buy list and customer service would dictate who gets most of the buys. This time it was just, did you pay us first? Uh, how big is your booth? We're going to give priority to those people to get these booths. and. They said that they weren't expecting much business, uh, but off the record, a lot of people had said 
uh, that this was their busiest day like ever, that it was equal to a normal Grand Prix, that it, that it was just that good of a day for them. Um, so the lesson to be taken away from this is with Channel Fireball having a monopoly next year on vending on events in general, uh, will they pull something like this again? Um, that they need to do this in a more professional way rather than sending out an email on the ninth before the event. Um, this is then followed up with an email from Channel Fireball on Friday of the event currently going on halfway through um, in which it says, greetings vendors. It is great to be well underway here in Vegas. Thank you again for helping to make this event spectacular. This email contains some important information regarding remittance of the Nevada state, Nevada state sales tax that we are responsible for filing. Please read it carefully. Attached, you will find a tax form and information regarding Nevada state tax laws. On Sunday, this guy will be delivering blank tax forms to each booth. You don't need to print them by yourselves. That will need to be filled out, and they have to be complete by 5 p.m. on Sunday. Uh, then the Channel Fireball guy will begin visiting all the vendor booths, and they will owe 8.25% on their gross revenue for the weekend. Uh, so for vendors who had already started vending the event or maybe budgeting differently or had even run out of cash or weren't prepared for this, Channel Fireball then goes and says halfway through the event, by the way, you guys need to pay taxes. Uh, we didn't tell you about this ahead of time, but you need to pay taxes by Sunday. Um, this is another area where they could essentially improve what they're going to be doing for next year because they have control of all of these events is letting vendors know ahead of time, hey, these are the taxes you guys need to prepare for instead of just halfway through the event, hey, you guys owe taxes at the end of the week. So in both of these, in both of these areas, in my opinion, with Channel Fireball having a monopoly over Grand Prix for next year, as I've been stating, they need to upgrade their communication to have it earlier than less than a week ahead of time for getting that last minute side booth and halfway through the event for the taxes. So in my opinion, um, these are just two areas that they really should work on. I'm not sure how you guys felt about this because most of you guys didn't get onto the site until Thursday when the main event hall was open. But the way that this entire side event hall was handled seems, in my opinion, very poor. Um, the email also says that they only had one ballroom. Uh, when I was on site, even though everyone was crammed in there, there was also rooms across from that little ballroom that were being used for side events as well, or maybe there could have been more space in the main ballroom. Um, but it, overall, in my opinion, it seemed very poorly handled. Is there anything that you guys wanted to talk about related to this? Um, and how they handled this Grand Prix on Wednesday. I mean, I don't, I don't have obviously a lot of skin in this game particularly. I think it's a little, it's a little weird that they were so unprepared for what was happening on Wednesday. I feel like that was not part of the initial plans, and possibly some of the blame lands on Wizards of the Coast for making the Grand Prix so long. Um, since technically because of the way that they structured this Grand Prix, it is the longest Grand Prix of all time, right? Because it was over so many days because of the multiple Grand Prix that they did. Uh, even the Las Vegas, which I believe opened on Thursday despite only having one Grand Prix, um, this is still a whole extra day earlier, and I'm not sure that they were ready for that, which might be why the ballroom was not set up. And the uh, like that's what I think that's where maybe some of the difficulties come from. Um, as far as the tax forms are concerned, like I feel like everyone should have been aware that they needed to pay sales tax because you have to pay sales tax in every state that you do business in. Um, 
but I don't know what the. I would like a little clarification on that as well. I just from Jeremy and Ed, what is the standard for vendors paying tax uh, or not at a vendor booth out of state? I'm not aware. But the fact that this email wasn't sent until halfway through the event means that if this is something that normally should go out, then Channel Fireball, having been at events in the past, should have known to send this out ahead of time, unless it's tradition to get this out halfway through the event. Do you have any insight for us, Ed, on the typical taxes paid by vendors at GPs? Uh, I'm not going to talk a lot into this. I'll just kind of go back and break down what uh, Jeremy said earlier. Um, I'm going to try and keep this real short because I don't want to turn this into, into a debate or any sort of like slight at Channel Fireball, mainly because unlike, uh, unlike Travis and Jim, I do have some uh, skin in this game, so I do actually have to be careful what I say. I'm going to keep this libelous. Jeremy, would have to help me with the pronunciation of that one. Yeah, I can't pronounce anything right. You were saying, Ed? So to start things off, so the biggest concern with... Uh, that a lot of us had was when we had received the email on Monday. Uh, that was when we received it. I, I can't speak to any of the vendors. This is a, everything I say here is only from my perspective and things that I do uh, quote, as it were, is purely hearsay, so take what you will with a grain of salt. When we received the email on Monday, um, obviously we had no, it was like, it was far too late for us to do anything. Most people weren't coming in until late on Tuesday. Um, we had no intentions of going out and doing it. Uh, Tuesday, or Wednesday was going to be kind of our uh, uh, relax and relax, go see Vegas day, do whatever. Um, we had no intentions of setting up one because we had we didn't anticipate the hall actually being that busy. Um, a lot of people who weren't vendors, who uh, players, friends coming for the Grand Prix, wherever they weren't coming out until late Wednesday, which was kind of uh, like the coming out late Friday night, as it were, coming right before your first Grand Prix. Uh, on Thursday, which was Legacy. And then, of course, there are people who, if they didn't play Legacy, some people weren't even making out until Thursday night or Friday night. Um, so we didn't think it would be that busy. Uh, we didn't think too much. We had $2,000 was a little bit more than what we wanted to pay, especially if the hall was going to be dead. So we just initially dismissed it. Um, had we known about it in advance, um, I would have much rather seen Channel Fireball incorporate Wednesday into their whole package and just market it as, okay, this is a five-day Grand Prix will work to $2,000 into your booth and you're expected to be there all the days. Um, or, you know, had, you know, Wednesday would just be forfeit, but at least it, it would be worth in a booth. And then that option was there for the vendors who wanted to be there, which obviously some vendors took advantage of. And I have no issue with that. Um, again, I think there was just a lot of confusion. Um, even as like, even as late as like Monday or Tuesday, I was definitely getting messages from people. Hey, are you going to be there on Wednesday? Are you not like, should we even show up at the site at all? Um, I, I I think just the way it's not very clear, and I think a lot of players would have definitely benefited from that if they chose to be there on Wednesday or had not chosen to be there on Wednesday. Um, so, and, and again, the way it's communicated to us, Wednesday was obviously far too late for most of us to change our travel plans. Um, we had people coming in from, you know, like all over. I can imagine how it'd be for the vendors who come in from Europe, Japan, overseas. They can't really change our travel plans. Um, and just trying to get them off the plane to right straight to the Grand Prix is just a little bit too much. Um, so had we known about this more in advance, I think Wednesday would have played out like a little bit different entirely. Um, it's very clear that Channel Fireball, they do have the demand for people to show up the day before, uh, whether it be people needing cards or people just want to come and hang out. Obviously, there's plenty of demand for it. I think every vendor would have been able to get into the hall and still have a positive experience for everyone overall. It did sound like it get, got a little cramped. So it's clear that like the demand 
is very, very high for it. So going forward, I think that should be something that they're just a little bit more aware of in the future. Um, and there's something I wanted to clarify specifically for any legal counsel listening. Um, I did not solicit Ed for these emails. Ed did not provide me with these emails. Um, we have on background over 15 vendors that confirm the existence of these emails that I reached out to uh, on or off background, all off the record. Um, that basically said they all received some, some form of this email, essentially. Uh, so Ed has not actually shared the contents of anything he may have received from Channel Farabo with me. It was all, right. all confirmed by other vendors. All right. So uh, now that we've got Jeremy's second legal disclaimer out of the way here, um, you know, speaking from the perspective of somebody who showed up and was at the event site but was not involved with the dealer booth at all, I, you know, there's clearly a disconnect here because I think most players uh, would tell you that Channel Fireball ran a fantastic event. Um, everyone that I've spoken to thought it was extremely well handled um, for the, from the player perspective. Uh, <clears throat> so all of this kerfuffle over this Wednesday event hall and how it was run is really limited to just the people who were setting up booths, basically. Why... Uh, why Channel Fireball would not realize that like there were these taxes that needed to be paid on Wednesday or until like, what was it, Friday or Saturday is kind of wild to me. Um, you know, I can see mistakes being made, but we're talking about the biggest GP that you've ever run. Um, I would think, you, you know, you've they've set up a website for this like nine months in advance. You'd think they'd put in a little bit of legwork on some of this stuff to kind of figure that out. Uh, so that's, I don't really give, I don't really, they don't really have an excuse for that unless like the Las Vegas commerce board, like Ted told them that they don't need to pay taxes and then suddenly change their minds on Saturday. Um, you know, I thought Wednesday seems like it was probably handled pretty poorly too, uh, with the experience of the players. Cause everyone told me how awful it was to be in there and people were just leaving. Cause even though they wanted to be there, they were leaving cause it was not pleasant to be there. So that also seems like an oversight, but Whatever, it's not a big deal. The players overall had a really positive experience. I'm sure a couple of vendors were pretty ticked with how it played out, but it seems minimal compared to how many people that it went well for. The question is how things will play out next year. Uh, you know, as long as Wizards keeps Channel Fireball on a pretty short leash, I think we can expect some pretty good events. Players overall tend to like them. Um, hopefully, they can kind of get their act together on some of these vendor details, though. Yeah, it's just going to be interesting to see um, how Channel Fireball adapts to this i think is what we're all looking for we all had a great time on site um wednesday there was literally no room for myself or others to sit if we weren't playing inside events uh in that main ballroom but um i was really impressed with how they handled thursday through sunday everything was smooth events were firing on time uh, everything was clearly marked stuff like that that made it very easy with the table colors uh for each different event and all that fun stuff um I did I reach it. Yeah. Sorry. I, I just wanted to like basically agree with what you said there, but also interject one little thing. The, the thing that I missed the most from this Grand Prix Las Vegas, from the last Grand Prix Las Vegas, was the giant banners hanging from the ceiling to, to give you an idea of where the hell everyone was. Uh, it was really nice that they, they had like different colored um, tablecloths. So you could say, oh, to your friend, oh, I'm sitting at the red tablecloth or whatever, see, you know, number 500 or whatever. But there's no, there was no indication anywhere where the red tablecloths were. Um, the last Grand Prix, they had like Snapcaster Mage, or not Snapcaster Mage, Vendillion Click, Dark Karn, Confidant, yeah. um, Geeky Jeeky, I think, and like uh, uh, Iona, I think, were like hanging from the ceiling. Like 
that they were like in sections like that, so you could easily find where the general vicinity of players was. And we reached out to channel. Well, I personally uh, sought a um, response or statement from Channel Fireball. I messaged the president of Channel Fireball, who saw my message, and then after a little bit, directed me to their head of uh, coordination, I guess you could say, or like their PR guy. Uh, and he wanted to uh, give us a statement that says, "Oh my God, I'm losing my voice." Um, Hi, Jeremy. Please the horror. Your, yeah. Please let your readers know that if they have questions or comments regarding vending at GP Vegas, they should reach out to vendor at channelfireball.com and that any questions or comments regarding staffing can be sent directly to me at mashi at channelfireball.com. One of our highest priorities is being receptive to feedback, and we'd love to hear from all of your readership. Thanks, Mashi. Um, so for anyone who's listening that may have had a similar experience with either a cramped um, cramped day on Wednesday or for the vendors that do listen to our podcast that felt that maybe Channel Fireball didn't handle it correctly, you can email either one of those two email addresses to leave your feedback there. I think the general consensus on this cast is you made this mistake at GP Vegas. Please don't do it again next year when you're in charge of everything. Um, because we've seen other TOs come and go that have handled events poorly and been reprimanded for it. Uh, and we don't like to see Channel Fireball step up and and knock it out of the park. Yeah, I was going to say, uh, Grand Prix Cleveland, I think, was run by pastimes. And there were people complaining on Twitter that like on Saturday and Sunday, there was no space at all for side events at all. They were just turning people away. And that's just a thousand times worse than anything that happened in Vegas. So they do a very good job. We're just a little concerned about what happened. I think in closing, like, um, again, like, we're not here to slight or, like, point fingers, pass blame or whatever. I think um, having spoken with John, Trevor Baker in the past, like, lots of guys at Channel Firewall, most of them are very, very receptive to feedback. They do listen. They do take changes into consideration. Um, If, you know, for any vendor there, like, you know, most of us have done this for a long time. We've done plenty of shows. They will listen to us. Um, It's important that we just are very clear about what issues were. Like regarding the taxation issue, it kind of hit us. Um, it, it, it just kind of blindsided us. Like we're not necessarily under a stipulation that we do pay sales tax on on all our earnings at the booth. Um, for like this is the first time, to my knowledge, that I've ever seen this come up. Uh, it hasn't come up in the past for me before. Um, we do have an account back in New York that handles all absolutely all handlings. I basically give like all my receipts, all my paperwork. Uh, everything, everything just goes to her and she more or less just handles it for us. I just have to kind of provide it, provide it in kind of a nice little package for her. Um, I imagine most of the vendors are in a similar boat. Um, so going forward, like that's one of the things where if we had advanced knowledge, um, you know, I would have maybe paid for my account to come out and had them take care of it directly on site and make sure that all the legal issues were taken care of done properly, et cetera. Um, so vendors out there, you know, I it's important for them to hear what we have to say. They are receptive, um, and we are we're like more or less in this together. There's plenty of room for us to benefit. We want to make sure that the players have a positive experience with both us at the booth and at the event. Um, as for the players out there, uh, if you have any issues, you know, something wasn't handled properly. Again, send an email to Channel Fireball. They do read all the emails. They do take everything into a serious account especially since they're greatly widening their scope from the, you know, they do a small handful of events in uh, the U.S. this year and uh, in Europe. And then next year they have quite literally every event on every continent. 
and by being able to wind that scale, it's really important that, you know, anything you have an issue with, let them know. I have had a lot of vendors in Europe start chatting me, start chatting to me about, you know, their, their concerns or questions, how Channel Fireball handle things, et cetera, et cetera. Um, contact Channel Fireball directly, let them know if you have any issues, uh, mainly because this is all going to affect us like next year, you know, no matter what continent you're on, whether you're a player, a vendor, a judge, all these things should be addressed now because these are the type of things that they want to know now rather than later. You know, feel free to reach out to Channel Fireball. They they read all your emails. They listen to what you have to say. They watch the podcast. They file the lawsuits. They're really in touch with us. Yeah, and, and wrapping this up, this whole Channel Fizzle situation, uh, these are all our own personal opinions besides the facts stated from these emails that have been confirmed by multiple sources. Uh, with that being said, let's move on to the finance part of the segment and make you guys some money. Uh, Jim, do we have a credit winner for this week? We do, and I have another person whose name last name I'm going to mutilate because I don't know how to say it. But uh, Brian Vander something. I don't. I don't know how you say that last part. Vanderbilt. Huh? Oh, Giart. Vanderjug. Yeah, Vanderjug. All right. Uh, he asks, with the new FTVE being flip cards and the fact that the card pool to pull from is significantly smaller. Uh, let's face it, less cards really need, in need of a reprint. How long do you see, or how low do you see the FTV going? The retail is listed at thirty-four ninety-nine. Uh, I think this is a, a question that a lot of us will have uh, opinions on. It really depends on what cards, I guess, they, get, they, they decide to include. Um, from the announcement statement, it looks like they just, like... They explicitly call out shadows over Innistrad and Innistrad block cards, but not necessarily the Magic Origins cards. So if they put like a foil Jace in there, the uh, Friends Prodigy, it'll significantly help the value of this product. But I don't know if that's even going to be in there. Um, it also depends on if they do alternate arts for things and like how people feel about it in general. Like there are definitely cards that are expensive and that are sought after and not necessarily expensive but could be if they're a special edition add any thoughts on this new from the vault and how exactly they're going to uh make 35 dollars worth of value appear out of nowhere um i think i mentioned this in the past i think the from the vault product line is kind of an outdated product line um with how with with how aggressively they've been shoveling reprints into all these like supplementary sets like anthologies, uh, master sets, etc. I think the from the vault product line is kind of just an outdated animal. I think like I, I think I would rather see it go. The past few have kind of been bust. Like people don't really buy them anymore. They used to be kind of a cool novelty item uh, with you know like never seen before foils, etc. Which I'm sure they still do. Um, they still have them in every set, but it just it's not. It's no longer like kind of a super limited print run item it's no longer really like a hey this is a way to reward wpn stores as kind of an msrp product that you don't really sell msrp um all those things have kind of fallen by the wayside it seems like the past few ftv products have been busts um i have a hard time believing these are gonna be substantially more than 35 dollars um again if you put jace brins in there sure that's great how many people are really in the market for for the the foil considering how you have the set foil, the pre-release foil and the SDCC uh, promo to choose from. Like, like how many people who actually want 
like foil Jace Furniture Prodigies actually will buy uh, FTV uh, for the for Jace at this point. And realistically, most of the other foils are pretty much like so worthless already, considering how the foil market has tanked heavily in the past years. Uh, Delver's down from where he doesn't really see play anymore. Um, beyond that, like, what are you look, really looking at for cards that are exciting and wild to put in? I'm expecting this to be the only place that they can put Huntmaster of the Fells, but that's pretty much it. Yeah, I think personally players will be wolfing this up right away if they reprint Huntmaster. This Tra- is the worst F- this is in the running for worst FTV that they've made so far, tied with FTV twenty. Uh I think the price will be like forty five dollars, fifty dollars maybe, uh on a thirty five MSRP, which is abysmal for an FTV product. Just there's no cards in here anyone needs. And I just you have a total mismatch in like product and in in the the medium of the product, like almost every flip card that people actually might want that's kind of pricey is mostly for casual players and casual players don't like foils, especially FTV foils. So what the, what card is in here for what people? I don't know. This is just garbage. This is a bad FTV. Yeah. I would like if they returned to from the vault lore, which really landed itself in a good situation with players. This actually saw a ton of growth long-term on this specific one as well. From the vault lore was pretty perceived in my opinion location same thing with from the vault annihilation uh if they are start i'd rather them return to like more tribal stuff or uh more staples than that appeal to everyone rather than casual mctemmy wanting to buy a flip delver because there's a specific sort of player that wants that card jeremy roboted through his entire speech there and i think we were all saved at least three or four puns because of it you would be correct can you hear me now Yes. Unfortunately. Okay. So as I was saying, um, I'd rather that they go back to From the Vault lore. No, don't do it again. <laughs> Not, I'm, I'm messing. Uh, from the Vault lore, From the Vault Annihilation were bad. I would rather them go back to these older ones like From the Vault 20 or From the Vault Realms or From the Vault Relics where it appeals to a casual player who wants that From the Vault soaring versus not. there's a very small market for From the Vault Delver. I mean, are we approaching a point in time where we're going to get a from the vault anthologies. I'd be okay so I feel like, that. I feel like dragons uh relics and exiled minus the cards that are on the reserve list and legends could probably get reprinted at this point. Cause legends is the newest one. And that's from six years ago. We don't know. We'll have to find out. But uh, anyway, thank you for asking that question. Please message Cartel Aristocrats on Facebook or Twitter, and we'll get you that gift certificate promo. Jim, where can people ask questions this week to potentially win a $25 gift card to Cool Stuff, Inc.? That is a great question. I think we might just keep it in the same place because it's the easiest place for us to answer everyone else's questions. So it's going to be on gatheringmagic.com probably tomorrow, which is going to be June 27th. It's going to go up. So feel free to drop us some questions there. We also had some great other questions that we're going to answer this week, and we will continue to butcher your names. Uh, T.S. Jennett at Loot, H-O-A-R, asks, How much bulk is too much to keep on hand? After picking through for the value, do you buy list or keep in, in store slash in your, in your room? Um, 
And then he asks, what to do with the remainder? Do you keep a playset of each common, uncommon, and rare for inventory, or do you just ship the rest of the crap off? So basically, how much bulk is too much, and what do you guys do with it? Am I am I answering this or sure why not? I mean, you, it's too much bulk when your significant other starts complaining about it. Okay, speaking from speaking from a perspective of a single person working inside a store, I uh, have very little bulk in my house. I've shipped off all my personal cards, so I actually no longer own bulk. That's not something I really deal with anymore. Um, if you're asking this from a store perspective. Um, I would say we have too much bulk already, but too much varies, well, obviously vary from store to store. I say too much mainly because I value the space. Um, anyone who has been a long-time listener of this and watched a video, I think, I want to say like probably two to three months ago, I had actually uh, taken my Mac and did a walk around of the lower levels of the store. Um, and people saw, and anyone who watched there were just pallets and pallets uh, stacked up with 5Ks of bulk. Um, I value that space. I. I would prefer that whole area be not stacked with pallets of bulk, mainly because we could use the area for something else. Uh, we do have some expansion projects going at the store. Um, and a lot of it, it just takes too much time to sort, pick, uh, and then just put back, and then eventually you have to get rid of it via shipping or driving to another store or whatever. Um, so I would say too much bulk is when you're past the point where it's time efficient or spaceship space efficient for you to handle. If you need the space for something else and the bulk just sits there and you don't have time to process it, you probably need to trim down. Um, in the store, um, on the sales floor, we keep uh, sets of everything available. Uh, so we try and replenish the bulk as we go commons that sell out. Um, we'll try and keep them replenished, especially on things like signets, uh, like playables, those type of things. Those generally tend to be replenished more aggressively than just kind of cards that will never sell. Your generic vanilla creature from Konzatark here, that's probably never going to sell. There's really no point in trying to go through and replenish it. Um, and then the rest of it basically just sits downstairs. Uh, we try and process it, pick out the better stuff to put online. Otherwise, like it, like for us, it just sits there and accumulates, and it's actually really starting to annoy me. Um, I, there's just going to be a point where we're just going to say someone could just come and take all this bulk, picked or not. We just it, it's the space is just more valuable than however much profit we can make by actually making someone go through and pick it all. Travis, as someone who is probably more representative of our listeners, where they speculate on specific things and keep them stashed away. Uh, have you had a problem with how many cards you've had uh, since you don't own a storefront or sell through that many places? Well, <clears throat> so the you in that sentence can refer to two people. It can refer to me or it can refer to the people who live in my house, which includes my fiance. Um, so have I personally had a problem with the amount of cards in the house? No, not really. Um, but it definitely can get to a point, depending on how large your apartment is, where it starts to irritate the people that live with you. I think that at one point I had probably like 100,000-ish floating around, and that was a pretty large footprint. That was way too much. Even uh, I got rid of that, then I ended up with like probably 20,000, and even that was kind of obnoxious. Like I could have found some place to put it where it would have been out of the way, but it's just annoying and clunky to have around. Um, so I generally try and keep my 
my inventory of bulk type stuff really low, especially because, you know, if you're doing the type of stuff I am, there's no money in there for you. Like that's not, that's not where your operation is. Like you probably have it because it's left over from collections that you bought. Um, so your best bet is to just flip it, either dump it to a store or a friend or whatever, or, you know, stick it on Craigslist 50 bucks for everything. And you come pick it up and just let them deal with it. Um, at this point, the volume of my magic cards, let me see how flexible is my, Oh, that's not gonna, not gonna reach at the moment. Maybe next time I'll, maybe I'll post a picture or something, but my physical outlay for magic is actually pretty minimal now. Jim, as someone whose significant other also plays magic, how much bulk is too much bulk? Uh, I don't think that she necessarily cares that I have too much shit, but I'm at the point where it's just like in my way. And and it's really just the space reason that I want to get rid of it. Like I tried to Are we sort talking of... about the magic cards or Yes. Well, and her shoes, but I can't do anything said, about that. But you said bulk, I wasn't sure what we were referring to specifically. Oh, I see. You're you're funny. You're funny. If any of you ever want to hit up Jim and go to his house, which would be kind of weird, uh, Jen, his fiance, has a ridiculous amount of shoes. Just throwing that out there, like a ridiculous amount. I don't even have. I don't even have. Words I'm to pretty it. sure. I'm pretty sure it's not a ridiculous amount of shoes for a woman. It just looks like a ridiculous amount of shoes because it's actually pretty well organized, and you can appreciate how many shoes there are. Please don't be sexist at me. Yeah. Um, I don't know, man. Shoes are great. Like it's hard to find size 18s. I bought some from my dealer the other day. I don't know what he laced them with, but laced them with. But I've been tripping all day. Uh, man, I was like, "What the? <laughs> where are you going with this?" And then yep. you got there, and I was like, "Damn it! I should have seen this." <laughs> um, but in reality, the bulk for me—it's like, what's your time worth? Uh, bulk rares—I will literally take as many as I can and throw them in a closet until I can move them. Because that's like a good opportunity cost, but uh, bulk commons and uncommons, the tipping point for me is when it smells. Uh, old bulk or bulk that's just been handled badly starts to like smell like rot after a while. Um, so like you, you can know, maybe. What? No, I mean I'm just like a literal. I'll throw it in like a basement, and then when I walk downstairs, you can smell it rotting. Uh, that was after I picked up like a uh, two hundred thousand from like a smoker. And even though I moved the boxes and stuff, the cart still smelled for a while. Um, I guess you could say if your bulk smells, then you have too much. Yeah. Like, I've got 1.3 million in this apartment right now, and that's not, like, a ton. But it it's, like, at the point where anymore it'll start smelling like rotting cardboard. I think the most I've ever had anywhere was 3.5 million after Bashard drops them off with some other people, and uh, that did not smell great. So, it, I think it just depends on what you're doing with it, but... If I had a million bulkers, which I don't, like I would just sit on that for a while, because there's really no negative to holding onto it any longer. Oh, I am a firm advocate of not selling bulk rares. Like, just leave them in a box. I have I have two five Ks that are just about full now with bulk rares, and I I will not sell them because every roughly every month I'll go through uh, because something will spike and I'll go, I think I have a couple of those floating around and I'll dig through the box and I'll find a couple copies. Just the other night I went looking for decree of silence because of solemnity. I didn't find any decree of silence, which was actually pretty surprising, but I did find 20 grand architects uh, and a couple master of ethereums and some other odds and ends. So I pulled all that out and you just leave it and like the bulk will stay bulk, but some of that stuff is going to spike and you're going to be happy with it. Yeah, there's really no rush. It's like a it's like a mutual fund sort of. Some things will go up and some things will go down, but overall the growth will be positive as long as the game is healthy. 
So well, that, that's some the cards won't go down because the stuff that you're putting in there isn't worth selling when you first pick it up. So like it's nothing but profit. No, but let's say like something's a flash in the pan and you forget to pick it out for like two weeks and it technically yeah. goes back down. Yeah, that's true. Like you have to be aware. You kind of have to like remember that it's there. And when you see some weird card spike, you have to like go and grab it. But that's also nice because if something spikes tonight, I can go through that box and dig out copies and list them on TCG player in 20 minutes where most people like who ordered it now have to wait three days for it to show up. So you can kind of get ahead of people too. Sorry, I was pulling up the next question. Uh, Mr. Lubufu wants to know how low Frexy and Elish Norn will go now that it's been announced as the uh, ninth wave promo. I mean, this is like that we had this debate off the cast. You guys sort of want to explain what's going on with this? Uh, yeah, so the. Bakwatsi! Uh, Bakwatsi, really? And Travis's <laughs> permaban from GPs. Basically. Um, so basically, uh, the. Uh, Phyrexian Elishnorn promo was given away in very small quantities. I believe most people only got one if they got any. I'm not sure if it was distributed the same way as the Force of Will promo, which was based on um, the number of judges that you certified or something to that effect. But basically, there's not a lot of them. They're very, very hard to find, um, and they just they just don't exist. The most recent judge exemplar packet is going to include a new foil, which is a Gaddock Teague with new art, and a re-release of the existing uh, Elish Norn promo uh, in Phyrexian. What's, it's, it's virtually identical to the other one. It doesn't have the foil stamp like the new cards do. It's just the same promo as it was before. It's just cool because it's not in English or any other language that reasonable people can read. Um, and it has like some funky numbers and stuff on it. But basically, they were really, really, really expensive. And now there's probably thousands of them that are going to exist that previously didn't. Um, this first exemplar wave will include them. But generally, what happens with the promos is, is that they are included for a number of waves. And then they are included in judge packets that you can get at conferences. And then they're retired. So there's probably a year or so of giving away this promo before it is at max supply. As our listeners may have guessed, uh, I owned a Phyrexian Elish Norn. Uh, you may have seen me waving it in front of the camera 20 minutes ago. I have actually just sold it for 350, um, which is less than I paid for it, although I picked it up via Puka Trade. Um, so, you know, did I really pay for it? Uh, all in all, the amount of total value of cards that I put into the system that resulted in me getting that card was probably not too far off that number. I considered not selling um, because, you know, if I can get 354 at like, and let's say the price slips to like 275, by the time I sell it at 350, there's 10%, and then, you know, some shipping and all that stuff. So, like, you figure I'm at like getting 300 bucks in my pocket and if the price crashes to 275 is it really worth the 25 dollars worth of effort no is it worth 50 dollars worth of effort if it goes to 250 mm, probably not but given what unconfirmed numbers we're hearing like that this wave new new printing of alish norn could quadruple or more the number of copies in circulation that's not a risk i'm really willing to take i think we could see the slip down into the mid hundreds 
um, depending on how many are out there, which is not really something I want to get in front of. There's also rumors that there has been hoarding of the original printing by a couple parties. Um, so, you know, that's another additional wave that you might not want to find yourself in front of if that ever, if that's a true and got released. So I, I made the decision to sell for anyone else who's out there. If you can get three to 50, I would recommend it. I don't think it's a slam. Like these guys might tell you it's a slam dunk. I'm a little less confident in it. It's hard to let that go. Uh, but you could be looking at losing $200 in value on the card. So I, I, I decided that was worth it. I think the amount of copies is going to flood the market over the next month as everyone tries to liquidate them for quick dollars and get the hell out now and rebuy in a month. Is it even a month though? Uh, Ed, go for it. Uh, so if you look on like if you look on a lot of Facebook groups, like sick deals or high end or whatever, a lot of people are already starting to dump them. You can actually people are just straight up trying to sell them for two fifty, and people aren't biting at this point. There's just gonna be way too many coming out. Um, so if you want it, sit and wait. Uh, I do think the price is gonna crash pretty hard. I think mid hundreds is not far off from the. Uh, the final value, um, the close comparison we have would be like Mandrain. Um, what Mandrain was a pretty exclusive one. I think it was reserved to L3s and up. Uh, and this was a few years ago before they changed it to where L3 was the highest level. Um, a few years ago when it was when it was given out, they had L L1s through L5s. And only the L3s and above got it. Um, so anyone who didn't remember, like it started off like in the 800 to $1,000 range. Um, and then that one year, I think it was at GP Pittsburgh, I want to say, they released all of them in the exemplar uh, packet. So you had lots of judges just going out there and trying to like sell them off as quickly as possible, um, which is kind of my issue uh, as a vendor because usually they're given away, the, the first exemplar wave is given out at, uh, or I shouldn't say wave, but the, the first people to receive them generally tend to be at events, especially the higher level judges like regional coordinators, uh, the head judges for Grand Prix, et cetera, which is actually what happened this past weekend. Um, I was in Sydney and we actually had a judge approach. I actually had a judge approach me looking to unload 10 of them, which probably should have been my hint that it was uh, going to be released as a, uh, it was probably going to be released in mass at this point. It just didn't really click at the time. Um, but when that tends to happen, it causes the price to fall pretty fast. And it does kind of create this unfavorable uh, tension for judges where basically the, the highest level ones, the ones who are already being compensated the most, receive them first. And they're also the first ones to try and dump it, which really sucks for the judges, like the L2s or whatever, who are being sent their promos. They don't get them at a later time, at which point we've already seen everyone like already receive their promos and the price already crashed at that point. Um, so that's my that's kind of my biggest conflict. If you want it, send wait. Fresh and Elishorn is a popular card. It's like very cool, very unique. But it sees like playing like cubes, like one of in Reanimator and Legacy. That's really about it. The uh, the supplies just can go up way too much, and the, it's just going to play outstrip the demand. So if you want one, just send wait. It'll it'll go down pretty hard. Did you that say that at Vegas a judge walked up to you and tried to sell ten of them? He said it in Australia on his vacation. In, okay. In Sydney. Wait. Was that after the official release announcement? Yeah, it it, it was it was early the, it was earlier on Saturday. I want to say I want to say that was before it was public knowledge. I guess if you know a couple hours ahead of time, that's not a big deal. Yeah, I I had one of my judge friends send me a message. He's like, I have these weird language, uh, Elish Norns. Can you sell them for me? And I was like, 
that's really weird. Why did you, how did you get those? They haven't been released in a really long time. And then I saw the post like later that day that um, they were reprinting them. But I also want to point out that Elishorn is also really, really, really popular in EDH because it kills a lot of tokens and it affects everybody. Yeah, I really like this, just like the alternate art Ugin. Just like pick one up, throw it in a deck, and then, you know, it'll eventually go up over time. But you have to get in at the very lowest. The numbers I was seeing offered on the Judge uh, Mana Drains were abysmal this weekend on buy lists. So there's a number between what vendors are lowballing at because they won't sell and what the artificial market has them at, essentially, because it's really worth what people are willing to pay. So just like at Vegas, if you go up to someone and you offer them like 20% less than their listed price in a random judge promo, they might say yes. And that's a number that works for both parties. You can do this on Twitter or Facebook too. You know, there's nothing wrong with offering someone a number because the card's only worth what people are going to buy it for. That's my opinion anyway. Okay. Like, how I pick up all my Russian foils is I literally will just start at, like, X percentage below what they're asking. Well, yeah, I would say there's a, that's slightly different simply because a lot of times there's, like, no sales data for those cards, especially not recent. Right, but, I mean, those are rare versus there's going to be a ton of Elishorns out there and a vendor just might want to move it just to get rid of it. Yeah, 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 yeah. I just mean, like, it can be, it's easier, I guess, for both parties to negotiate on something like one of these crazy Russian foils because, like, what other metric do you have to go with, right? All you can go with, well, this is what I think it's worth because you can't go look it up. But, yeah, uh, thanks for the question, Uh, Lucas. That's a very good one that I know Travis was debating, and it looks like he already did very well accepting that offer at 350 as there are already 100 and something dollars in Europe. So good job, Travis. Pat yourself on the back and move on with the next sale because it's just a piece of cardboard. Still feels bad. <laughs> Is there anything else that you guys want to talk about this week? Specifically related to any of the products coming out, uh, Ixalan, any of that stuff? I mean, I'm hyped for our Devastation, man. I really like the art on the Invocations. I wish that the Invocations didn't have awful borders, but... I'm like really, I'm like really happy about the uh, the the amount of nickel bolas per per cards. Like the frequency that nickel bolas appears on cards is is awesome, and like all the artists that did all the art just like hit it out of the park. So I'm really excited about this set. Can't wait to go to the pre-release and get my hands on some. I'm really disappointed that Marvel's banned because that new humility would have allowed me to triple dip on Aetherworks Marvel. And it is a shame. I won't get that opportunity. Yeah, I don't feel bad for you. Well, with that being said, with such a marvelous pick that we've picked in the past, why don't we get in the pick of the week where we discuss which cards to pick up that will hopefully turn a profit. Um, there is a spreadsheet that is currently being being updated. Uh, the, the the last like year of the podcast has been solidly locked in. The guy is catching up now on these last couple of podcasts. But essentially, if you look at the spreadsheet, which is on Twitter, we've made you guys a lot of money. So we're going to continue to try and make you guys a lot of money by having Travis pick a card first. Uh, all right. Well, this one, uh, you might have a little bit of trouble finding it, the price listed. So, but I'm going to toss it out there as a uh, foil Colgon's command. 
you might be able to find copies at 20. Um, you can find a couple at 25 or less. Uh, this is seen a lot of play in like modern legacy cubes, those types of places. It might even be in vintage. I didn't look. Um, but no. we don't really have to. No? Not that I've seen. Okay. We don't really have to wonder though, because you can go like what the price is going to do. Cause you can go look at collective brutality, which is a very similar card. Um, that came a little later and foils of that are now $40 plus. So, you know, Colgan's command jumping from 20 to 25 to 40 seems like a slam dunk. Um, I'm also keeping my eye on heart of Kieran, you know, it's still a little pricey for me, but I'm going to watch it and see if it drops a little bit. If we get down into like the 15 ish range, sub 15, that's going to look pretty good come, um, October because there's not going to be a better vehicle that's legal. Okay, I'm done. You can go. Jim? Uh, my pick this week is going to be Court of Calling. Uh, I think it's a card that is very due for a big price correction. Uh, it's been at its lowest in most recent times when uh, Ether Revolt was released, and since then has gone up $3 in uh, like six months or so. So I think that that's a card that I would keep an eye on. There's not a lot of them because it's from a core set. It's from M15 and uh, original Ravnica. And uh, with the Star City Invitational this weekend, I, it's a split format of modern and standard. And if you're not playing Death Shadow cards, then you're probably playing some amount of Devoted Druids and Vizier of Remedies. And if those cards, those, those decks are very popular, that card has not yet jumped and could jump uh this weekend so if you're on the on the verge of buying these um you know even even just since Amonkhet has come out it's it's up like two dollars so it's it's one of those slow creeping things that people don't notice and when it does spike people are going to be like oh why did this happen well this is what happened it's been going up for the past six months yeah that's actually a pretty good argument jim um did you was this something that took a while for you to think of, or was it more just looking at recent trends uh, to target this card? Um, so I know that there's like a bunch of different Devoted Druid decks, and I really didn't want to suggest anything that's in one of them, but not in other ones. Um, and pretty much the only overlap that you see is with Collected Company and Court of Calling. And Company is like 15 and hasn't moved very much, but court is 11 and has gone up a bunch in the past couple of months so i feel like that's the card that is the lower supply and will be more difficult to find um and then it doesn't really matter what version of the deck you're playing you're playing both of those cards so if you're playing the elves deck that has devoted druids or if you're playing like a noble hierarch knight of the reliquary deck with devoted druid or the abzan deck that plays the kitchen finks and viscerisier deck like all of those decks all play court of calling they all play collected company um, so you can't really go by, wrong by buying either of those cards. Yeah, I guess that pick really struck a chord with me. Ed, what do you got for this week to make our listeners money? Um, as as, as I kind of like has read the fervent. Um, we do have a new burn spell that's coming out of our devastation. It's basically Searing Spear for three mana, which is basically Lightning Bolt for two mana. Um, I think aggressive decks tend to be very good towards the beginning with new format um it's been a little while since we've had a mono red uh deck but in the past we've kind of consistently seen like red based decks do very well um the biggest issue with mono red decks currently in the format is there's no like direct 
burn spell that can both hit that can both hit creatures and players. Um, the three mana spell, while it may not be phenomenal, it might kind of be enough to make mono red playable, especially the beginning of the format when people don't really know like what people, what like how the format breaks. Um, Hazard kind of saw a little spike in the past, uh, right when Amarcat first came out. Um, it did seem to have a brief spike in the beginning when people thought it would be, it would kind of find a home somewhere in standard. It hasn't yet. Um, it's getting much, much cheaper. I think you can find them online for somewhere in like five to six dollar range. Um, and it's kind of, it's kind of perfect curve topper for a lot of red based aggro decks. They tend to empty their hands very quickly. Um, it's a pretty big creature. There aren't a lot of, there aren't a lot of exile effects that are super efficient in uh, standard right now, other than cast out. That's kind of like the, e the easiest way to deal with a god. Um, I, I'm probably willing to hedge, like probably like ten copies or so. It's not it's not unlikely going to see play as like a four of, but if a red base deck does break out, that's pretty aggressive, pretty fast, and hits pretty hard. Hazard will definitely be a contender, especially as a kind of a breakout card. So you have them now, and you're willing to hedge it right for the release weekend of our devastation you probably stand to make a little bit of money if if these like aggressive reds do well <clears throat> and on a similar vein i really like glory bringer i think this is a card a lot of people are targeting and it's getting closer to that price point especially with marvel being banned i know travis was really into that card for example what glory bringer or marvel uh well Glorybringer and Ed was Ed pick Glorybringer a while ago too so I think the whole cast is that's one of those cards where eventually it's got to break. I was actually looking at Glorybringer again uh, a couple days ago. I had kind of forgotten about it and then I saw it again. I'm like, this is not quite cheap enough yet, but we're getting there. And with Marvel gone, I feel like this card. Like if you talk to people who are watching the spoilers for spikes, they're defining, they're measuring cards against Glorybringer. Like, every card that's spoiled is like, well, how does this play against Glorybringer? Does it have more than four toughness? So if that's being used as a yardstick for everything, then that seems like it's going to matter a lot in standard. I'm going to count that on the spreadsheet because that was my pick, and you took my pick, Jeremy. I didn't say that was my pick. I didn't say that was my pick. I just said in the similar vein, I like Glorybringer. Oh, never mind. Yeah. For viewers out there, we have like a little internal competition with all our picks of the week to see who is actually doing the best. I'm kicking us. I was getting a lot of shit because I only pick standard cards. So, and now you know, as well as people are picking standard cards. I don't want to give I don't want to give the guy who's running this a hard time at all. But if it's being run such that it's like today's current price versus like then it's going to skew terribly for Ed. It should be what is the maximum price it reached after the person mentioned it. So that like, you know, Ed gets full credit if the card, you know, the card jumps from two to twenty and then back to two, he gets it at twenty. Nope. Yeah, I was gonna <laughs> say this that that's how my stuff is working for a while too. That's why Jeremy doesn't want that to happen, because it might make him look bad. I'm playing the system. No, I picked or, or uh, not as good. I picked that three mana stifle void slime thing at like three dollars when it went to seven. So I did one standard pick right. So wave a little finger around in celebration. Um Man, there's a lot of good cards to pick in the casual market, though. I'm not going to lie. Like, Perforos is just going up like crazy. Chromatic Lantern and Cyclonic Rift continue to go up. Uh, so there's a ton of stuff there. I'm, I'm going to say my pick of the week is Shadowborn Apostle. The spread is virtually negative on this card across many vendors, and I think this gets into, rel into Relentless Rats territory in the next two years. So I like this one as a long-term casual spec. Demand is up like crazy. People buy a lot of them at the same time, and it's free money if you find it in bulk. 
Speaking of casual cards, if you're planning to build an EDH deck with any of the new gods, I have some very important suggestions. Just one card for each deck that if you want to build that as your commander, you should probably get it now before it gets really expensive. Uh, if you want to do the Scorpion God, you obviously need a Contagion Engine. Um, I don't know if those are going to go up again, if people get more interested in the minus one, minus one counter theme, but I bought one in Vegas because I saw the God spoiled, and I was like, well, if I'm going to build this deck, I'm going to need another Contagion Engine. Um, the Scarab God works best with Training Grounds because it makes its ability cost to us, and it's just blue-black and reanimate a guy. And uh, the Locust God, I think works best with Winds of Change, which does not have a lot of black border printings, so if you want to get that, um, that is my little tidbit, or, or a little little nugget of knowledge that uh, if you want to build those decks, those are the cards I'd probably pick up first. So that concludes Cartel Aristocrats cast number 60. Uh, where can people find you guys if they want to ask you any questions or interact with you in real life and take some selfies for charity? Uh, my name is Jim Casal. You can find me on Twitter at PHROST underscore. Uh, you can find me on Facebook, but please don't add me unless you know who I am and like I've interacted with you a bunch before. Random people add me and I don't accept their friend invite because it's more personal. If you just want to talk to me, I have DMs open on Twitter. That's the best way to reach me. Ed? Uh, I'm Edwin13 on Twitter, um, the Buyer for Crohn's game store, and their travel team manager. Um, it's crazy to say, but I'm done traveling for a little bit. It feels great, having been on the road for like almost three weeks now. Uh, I had a good time in Australia. Shout out to Pierce, who actually uh, identified me by voice, which was really odd. Um, I was walking around, he heard me talk, and he asked if I was a guy on Cartel Aristocrats. Um, so shout out to him. It's definitely cool to see people. Um, Having been identified both in Europe and Australia is pretty cool. Now, if only I can get someone to identify me in Japan, then my uh, life dream will be complete. Uh, yeah, yeah, Japan might be might be a little bit more difficult to get someone to, to find a listener there, but who knows? Um, other than that, uh, I will. My next stop is Kyoto in a few weeks, and uh, a long stretch of Grand Prix after that. All right, I'm Travis Allen, Wizard Bumpin, B-U-M-P-I-N on Twitter. I write every Monday for mtgpraise.com. I also do the MTG Fast Finance podcast with uh, James Chilka on Thursdays. And if you like playing magic, check out Scry.land, find magic in your area. And I'm Zemet. You can find me in the great state of Missouri. Uh, I think the overall tone of this uh, podcast is we would like to see channel get their act together and not mess up again. I would love to see your South American schedule for next year because I want to go listen to Despacito, which is like the number one song ever right now. If you haven't listened to it, shout out to that song. It's got like fastest growing viewership ever, 2 billion views and some number. I promised a listener I'd shout that song out. Um, you can find me on Twitter at Zemitzel's Magic. And as always, we thank you for listening. You can follow us on Twitter at cartel underscore finance or listen to this cast on SoundCloud, iTunes, mtgcast.com or YouTube. Uh, so thanks for listening, guys, and we'll see you all next week.